people with type 2 diabetes have an 18% increased risk of dying from cancer. Now they are saying that folks should get screened for certain cancers earlier if they have type 2 diabetes. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. super week. I've had a really fun week. On Thursday, I completed my most recent cruise. That was a 12-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Enchantment of the Seas, and that was really a nice cruise. It was long. It was 12 nights, and I was cruising solo on that cruise. Now, luckily here, when I'm back on board in a few weeks, I'll be with my wife, and so that'll be even more fun for me. And on this cruise, when I was solo, I did get in some really nice long walks on five of the islands in the Caribbean. And we were to Barbados and St. Croix and, oh, where else? I can't remember right now off the top of my head. But all the islands are similar down there. One of the days I actually got lost a little bit And I talked about that on one of my shorts this past week. So catch that. You can catch my short videos either on Instagram Reels or Facebook Reels or the YouTube channel. You can find links to all that over at the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com. So it was a fun cruise. And uh, eating went well. My movement went well. They had uh, really fun entertainment. And the weather was great. The first couple of days out of Baltimore... It was a little rocky, especially that first full day at sea. But as we started going south, the weather got better, and I would say for 10 of the 12 days, the weather was fabulous. The first day, it was maybe only in the 50s, and the last day, it peaked out maybe around 60, but all the days in between were 70s to low 80s. So you really can't complain about that at the end of January during the winter. So I've been home now for two days from the cruise and I'm happy to be home. It's always nice to be home and relaxed and I got to enjoy two really nice walks outside these past two days on my favorite local trail, the Lebanon Valley Rails to Trails. And they have a Facebook page and also a website. So if you're interested in learning more about this trail system that's in nearby my hometown, It's in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania, and it's the Lebanon Valley Rails to Trails. And you can find the website, the Facebook page, all kinds of stuff like that. And anytime I go out there and I take a video while I'm walking, I always post it to those web pages as well. It's part of the Pennsylvania Rails to Trails system. It connects with rail trail that goes down into Lancaster County, connects down into Maryland through York County, And you can 
start on that trail and go, I think, across the country at this point. Certainly easily out to Pennsylvania's far western end by Pittsburgh or down south into D.C. and Maryland, Virginia. So it connects to a lot of different places. One thing on this past cruise that I did notice is I had a hard time getting in protein. I am actually eating a little bit less now. This Manjaro has pretty much removed any hunger that I normally get. And so because I'm not eating a whole lot in any of the categories of nutrients, I do notice that my protein is also down. In fact, my protein's down lower than I like it. So I think next time I go on a cruise, I'm definitely going to take a carton of the uh, protein shakes that I get from Walmart, just the cheap Equate brand, but I really like them. Because I noticed now that these last two days I've been home, I've had one each day, either as a snack in the evening or yesterday I had one between breakfast and lunch. And it does really round out my protein intake. And we'll talk about that here in just a second as I'm talking about my numbers. For my numbers, I did close my Apple Fitness Rings six of the seven past days. And I think that's good. I think that closing six of the seven days or all seven is great. I don't mind not closing those days maybe once a week or so. The week before, I did close them all seven days, but I don't think that's necessary for me. I don't think it's necessary to close them every single day. But I probably close them about, I'm going to say, 27 out of 30 days during the month. So that's, what is that? Nine out of 10 days, I close the ring. So that's pretty good for me. With regards to my workouts themselves, it's really been all walking. Walking on the cruise ship or on the islands while we were in port, walking at home in the rails to trails. And that's actually a little bit of my challenge that I'm going to be talking about here in a minute. But very enjoyable walks. I do like walking so much. It's fun for me. It's relaxing. I think I get a good workout. My heart rate comes up to maybe around 110 or so with my brisk walking. So that's not an all-out high-intensity event, but nonetheless, I think when I get out and do my walking, typically it's for an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes, or in the case of the day that I was lost on that one island, it was about two hours. But I do need to work on that, I think, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. For my seven-day glucose reading, I averaged this past seven days 96. So I averaged 96 for my blood sugar, a 24-7 average using my continuous glucose monitor, and that equates to an A1C of 4.9. So still way down into the what they call the optimal range between 4, 4.9. They say that is optimal, which is super to be in considering I have a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, which I'll never get rid of. doesn't matter how well I progress here. I know that if I stop doing the things that I'm doing that help me, I'll be right back to where I was before. If you've heard me talk before, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and I've had A1Cs at the doctor's office as high as 11, 11.6, which is just terribly high. I think one time, actually, I had a reading of 14, which is dangerously high. And um, now, I, um, I don't know, the last time I've been above even 6 has been a long time ago. When I say a long time ago, it's 6 or 8 months. And the last few months, 
I've been in the fives, in the very high fours. The last official reading I got at the doctor's office was 6.0. So fabulous progress. And I think the fact that you're listening to this podcast is part of this because as I discussed last week, I really do this podcast for accountability and it looks like it's working. So when I came back from the cruise ship, I did step on my scale and it had been 12 days, of course, since I stepped on the scale and my body fat percentage was down to 24.4 yesterday when I stepped on the scale. And that is down from 24.9 before the cruise. So I lost about half a percent of my body fat, which equates to just over a pound. So to lose just over a pound of fat on a 12-night cruise, can't beat that with a stick. So I'm happy with that. With regards to my macros, and keep in mind, five of the past seven days, these macros come from eating on the cruise ship. My carbs averaged 110 grams a day of carbohydrates, which is a little bit higher than I would typically do. And my protein only averaged 80 grams of protein per day. Now, since I've been home, those two numbers have almost reversed. My, my protein these past couple days has been up to around 120 grams each day, and my carbohydrates have been down to about 80 grams each day, which is much closer to how I like it. I think one of the things I'm going to do is definitely take some protein shakes, like I said, on the next cruise. And then also, because I think I'll be having that extra protein, I might not naturally gravitate to some of those extra carbs on the cruise ship like I did this last time. But all in all, 12-night cruise, very successful as far as my type 2 diabetes goes. For my Manjaro update, this past Friday, so a couple days ago now, I did take the third injection at 5 milligrams. So if you remember, I've been on Manjaro now for seven weeks total. I'm in my seventh week now. So completed six weeks. The first four weeks were at the two and a half milligram dose. These past two weeks have been at the five milligram dose, and I've just taken the third dose at five milligram. I gotta say, and especially since being on the five milligram dose, my hunger is way down. My glucose is under great control, certainly well below the pre-type 2 diabetes range. That starts around 5.7 for an A1C, and my A1C in the last six weeks has been nowhere near 5.7. It's been well below 5.7. Now, just a day ago, just yesterday, I did order the next prescription through my online company that I've been using. If you want to follow them, you can find them on Instagram under Join Sequence. And I have just ordered the next prescription at 7.5 milligrams. So I wasn't sure if I was going to stay at 5 milligrams, but I'm not having any negative side effects. So I really want to see what increasing that dose will do. I definitely noticed better blood sugar control and better hunger control when I bumped up to the 5 milligrams. And it's going well. So there's nothing wrong with where I'm at 5 milligrams, but I am a curious kind of person, and I do want to see what the 7.5 milligram dose does. I can't imagine it's going to be too much difference, but if I have any negative side effects, I'm going to go back down to the 5 milligrams, but the only way to know is to try it. So with the online doctors, the telemedicine doctor's approval, 
they did call in their prescription for the 7.5 milligram, and I imagine I'll be picking that up here in a day or two. Now, I know folks are interested in the weight loss part, and I am not taking this Manjaro for weight loss, but it is because I'm eating less. It is a factor. It is a side product, if you will, a side benefit of taking this Manjaro. So I do track that because people are interested, and I have been asked that, especially on my TikTok videos. People ask, well, how much have you lost? So I am down 10 pounds in the last six weeks. I tend to focus on body fat percentage, and that's why I don't report weight loss a whole lot. But for those tracking for the Manjaro, because some people do take it off-label simply for obesity, so they are interested in the weight loss component. So I thought I should give you an update on that. It is 10 pounds in the last six weeks, so we'll see how that progresses. And but there's nothing magical there. Again, it's just the fact that I'm less hungry, I stay full much longer, and I'm just eating less. So when you eat less, you are going to lose some weight. There's just really not a way around that. So that's my Manjaro update for this week. With regards to my challenge and win, it's not really a win, but I do definitely have a challenge. I need to vary my movement. As much as I enjoy my walks, I absolutely love my walks. I think I've talked about this earlier, how walking is really the small lever. It's not doing a tremendous amount for my type 2 diabetes. It certainly helps. It's certainly positive. But I need simply to maintain muscle and to be stronger than I currently am. I need to vary my movement. Now, I do have a subscription to Apple Fitness Plus. And over the last couple of months, when I have done a workout that is not just walking, I do use my Apple Fitness Plus for that. I like their rowing workouts, their high-intensity workouts, their yoga, their strength workouts. So I do need to incorporate that more into my movement plans, my exercise plans. So I might walk a little less simply for time. If I'm going to spend an hour doing some of these Apple Fitness Plus workouts, then I might not have an hour and a half to go out for a long walk. Maybe just get a short walk on those days because I do like getting outside whenever possible. So I made a commitment to getting out into my little home gym immediately after I'm recording this. In fact, I probably will miss the first quarter of the NFC Championship game today, but that's okay. I'm rooting for the Eagles, so they don't need me there for that first quarter. So I wanted you to do something for me. When this podcast comes out, it'll come out like all my podcasts come out at about 4 o'clock on a Monday morning. That same day, which is tomorrow, look in my Instagram stories or my Facebook stories, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, and look for evidence that I got out of my home gym. Because I always post my workouts, I post my glucose readings for the past 24 hours, post my macros for the previous day. So I do that every morning. So sometime Monday morning, it'll be January 30th, hopefully the Eagles have won, but also you should see evidence of the fact that I got out into my home gym. So keep me honest and take a look for that. All right, let's look at the news. I have some good articles, I think, here for you today that you're going to find interesting. The first one is a little bit of a downer here. It says that study finds 
heightened cancer death risk in patients with type 2 diabetes. Now, I have heard previously in the past from various sources that cancer loves sugar, that for certain types of cancers, and again, I'm just sharing what I've read, but for certain types of cancers, they thrive off of sugar in your system. So I think maybe cancer cells, somebody found out here that they cannot metabolize fat. Your muscles and whatnot can burn sugar or fat or ketones, but cancer cells primarily thrive off of sugar. And when you have a lot of sugar, it really is a benefit for the cancer cells. It really helps them grow. This article here is saying that patients with type 2 diabetes have an increased risk of dying from pancreatic, bowel, or liver cancer. And in fact, for some of those cancers, they are twice as likely to die compared to general population from those cancers. And it says here that women also face a higher risk of dying from endometrial cancer. Overall, for all cancers combined, people with type 2 diabetes have an 18% increased risk of dying from cancer. Now, there's going as far as here saying that folks should get screened for certain cancers earlier if they have type 2 diabetes. Like a lot of cancer screenings, I don't know, colonoscopies or breast cancer mammograms or those types of screenings typically happen to when people are in their, I don't know, 40s, 50s, that type of thing. But they're saying that if you have type 2 diabetes, you should get screened earlier than that because it's more important to catch it very early because the chance of you dying from the type the cancer if you have type 2 diabetes is dramatically increased. So I thought that was important to know. That type of article is good information, I think, to have in your back pocket. So you might want to check that one out. Now the next one here is closer to home, a little bit of a better thing. The next article is called The Best Walking Plan to Help Lower Your Blood Sugar Levels. Now, what this article goes on to say is that your blood sugar is most easily controlled from walking if you walk immediately after you've taken a meal in. So get your walk after you get your food or take your walk after you take your food. They're saying that typically within a half an hour to an hour after you eat, your blood sugar begins to rise. And that's normal. That's always going to happen. But with people with type 2 diabetes, their problem is it rises much more steeply. And it, it just skyrockets up because you, the insulin is not working as well to store that sugar. So what they're saying is by walking, even if it's 5-10 minutes after a meal, and it doesn't have to be run, it doesn't have to be anything like that, just get out and move, you will blunt or you reduce that extreme spike in your blood sugar. So that's something to think about. It goes on here to talk about walking in general, trying to gain 30 minutes of brisk walking a day. But here's the quote. It says that if you take a 30-minute brisk walk within a half an hour after finishing a meal, you can lower your blood sugar 50 times more than if you were sedentary. So if you're sedentary, you know, your blood sugar is going to take a long time to settle out. 
but if you walk, you can settle out, get to a, back to a normal level much more quickly, and then that effect can last for up to a full day. So it's not like you have to walk for half an hour after every meal. Just take your maybe your biggest meal, your most carb-intensive meal of the day, and get in a brisk half hour after that, and it should do a really good thing for you. So check that one out. Now here's one that is, I'm going to say, maybe a little bit more negative again. It's called Six Red Flag Signs of Diabetes Doctors Want You to Have Checked. So these are six things that if you're experiencing these symptoms, this article says your doctor maybe should be notified. And here's one, urinating more, especially at night. So if you have to get up to go to the bathroom, that could be a symptom of having high blood sugar because your kidneys are working hard to try and get rid of that excess blood sugar naturally. Now I do take a medication, uh, Farziga, that actually helps that. It increases the amount of blood sugar that's passed out through the kidneys. But even without that medication, your kidneys are trying to get rid of that for you. So they find out that one of the symptoms of high sugar in the blood is urinating more. Also, feeling thirsty because your body is naturally trying to get more water into the blood to dilute the sugar that's there. So that leaves your cells themselves dehydrated. So that combination, urinating more and feeling more thirsty, is a sign sometimes. Also, tiredness or losing weight. They say that you can't get the glucose, even though you have a lot of sugar. This is something that's strange with type 2 diabetes. Even though you have a lot of sugar in your blood, because you're insulin insensitive or insulin resistant, you're not actually getting that into your cells for energy. So one of the symptoms is feeling very tired, unexplainably tired, maybe feeling like you need to fall asleep in the afternoon, something like that. That's something to think about. And also losing weight. And this is when blood sugars are very high. And again, it's because you're not getting the sugar into your cells, so you start breaking down the energy you do have, your fat storage or whatever, which means people with very high blood sugar, and this is sometimes one of the big symptoms in kids with type 1 diabetes, is the unexplained weight loss that seems to be happening all of a sudden. So something to think about, that's number four. Number five is, now I didn't know this one, this was new for me, it says genital itching, what in the world? But they say that's because of the sugar being passed out, you can actually be feeding the bacteria down there with some of that sugar. A little drip here, a little drop there. And they're saying that you're basically giving them, that bacteria, a snack. So the bacteria grows. So again, I didn't know about that one before. But this last one here I was familiar with, wounds taking longer to heal. And it's again because the sugars are not getting into your cells. You don't get the nutrients that you need. And therefore, the bacteria at that wound site is able to take over because you're not making the white blood cells, you're not doing the things that you need to fight off those infections, and you're actually giving the bacteria in those infections an upper hand. So that was interesting. Six things to look out for. Maybe discuss with your doctor if you're getting these symptoms. Now, the last one here, the last article is called Seven Day No Sugar High Protein Meal Plan. I have gotten a couple of questions regarding things to eat, what to eat. So I did just accidentally come across this article 
and it's from Eating Well magazine. It's online, and it offers up meals that do not have added sugar. So I'll just read the list here. There's three meals it suggests, and it evidently makes enough for multiple meals, but it's one pot lentil and vegetable soup with Parmesan. That sounds good. Italian wedding soup. Now, I am familiar with that, and I do really like that. So Italian wedding soup is a second recipe, and then the third is copycat Starbucks spinach and mushroom egg bites. So if you're near Starbucks, you might have seen their egg bites that they sell, and those are made in a factory somewhere, and they're just warmed up at the individual Starbucks. But these you can make fresh, you can make at home. So I'm going to include all of these articles with links in the show notes, and for this one here, you can click on that link and you can find these three recipes and they give you instructions. They give you how to make it, what to get at the grocery store, all that kind of stuff. And they all seem very easy to make here. So you might want to try these out and then let me know. Okay, so for today's topic, as I mentioned last week, today I wanted to talk about why I stopped taking metformin. Now, just to be clear, I'm not recommending that anyone, you especially, do not please alter your medications without first talking to your doctor. Now, I've been doing this for a lot of years, so I don't mind experimenting on myself once in a while, but I am not suggesting that you or anyone experiments with their health or their medications. Do that in partnership with your doctor. Metformin was my original medication for type 2 diabetes. I think it is for many people. I think the first line of the type 2 diabetes book for a general practitioner says give metformin. Metformin is a generic now. It's cheap. I have a feeling if you have any kind of health insurance, metformin is probably free to you with no additional money or whatever your minimum copay might be for a prescription. It certainly is cheap. I don't think I've ever paid a dollar for it with my health insurance. So that's, I'm lucky with that. But metformin has actually been around in the U.S. since 95. It's been prescribed. So for about the last 28 years, metformin has been the first drug of defense for type 2 diabetes. And it's a fairly mild drug. It was actually discovered and first used in France about 10 years earlier than that. So metformin does just a couple of things. It helps the liver produce less sugar. So it tries to limit the amount of sugar produced in the liver. The second thing it does is help the problem of insulin sensitivity, the lack of insulin sensitivity. And what I'm doing here, I'm linking to an article. It's actually Wikipedia. And I'm linking to this article in the show notes as well. And I'm getting this information on metformin from then. And that's why I didn't know that it was actually worked out in France that this is effective for type 2 diabetes. But it actually started, the interest in metformin here, it says, started as early as 1929. They first figured out that in rabbits it could lower blood sugar levels. Now, with my personal experience, and I was on a high dose, I was taking 1,000 milligrams twice a day, which 
according to what my doctor was telling me, that's about as high as you can go or as high as she wanted to go using metformin. So I think a few years ago or several years ago, I started out at 500 milligrams once a day. And then I went to 500 milligrams twice a day. Then I went to 1,000 milligrams twice a day. Now it does have some side effects, mostly GI side effects and upset stomach, lower GI side effects, if you know what I mean. But it's, it's generally considered safe. I think it might also be used here, according to this, yeah, according to this article here, it's also sometimes used for fertility problems to counteract some neurological medications that are given because they might tend to cause weight gain. And for me, it has never been a real game changer. Certainly what I was eating would have a more dramatic effect than taking the metformin. So anyway, I'm going to link this article here from Wikipedia and you can, it goes on and on for pages. So you can learn all you want to know about metformin. But for me, I never noticed it helping in a dramatic way. Now, I think it might have been helping in some way, but once I started taking Manjaro, the effects that it was doing, the effects that it was having were almost unnoticeable. In fact, it's now been three weeks since I stopped taking the metformin, and I have noticed absolutely no increase in my blood sugar levels. To me, unlike the Farsiga, and certainly unlike the Manjaro, taking or not taking the metformin doesn't seem to have any effect on me whatsoever. I think the other two medications are so strong in what they do that the effects of the metformin are basically hidden. So if a medication is not doing anything for me, I am very comfortable in not taking it. Now, having said that, I did make an appointment with my doctor. You know, I've been on the cruise ship now for a couple of weeks, so I'm back now. I was able to get an appointment with my doctor for this upcoming week, and I will discuss it with her. But I think the writing's on the wall here that this metformin is really not needed now that I have the Farsiga and the Manjaro. So I have a feeling she's going to concur with me that I really don't need it. And anyway, I'm the one putting the medication in my body. The final call is mine. But I do want to make her aware, and I don't want to keep things from my doctor. That defeats the purpose of having a medical professional to rely on. I'll keep you posted, but that is my story. I've been on metformin for many years, but now, at least for now, I'm no longer taking the metformin. So we'll see what the future brings. All right, your questions. And I do have two questions two or maybe three questions, and they're from Steve. Now, we heard from Steve before, and if you remember, Steve was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes just here in the recent hit past, and he's written in. I'm going to read it to you here. And Steve says, I've just caught up with your series. I'm enjoying it and finding it informative. I've been listening whilst walking. So you've literally got me through thousands of steps I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. At the moment, the temperatures are around freezing, so outdoor walks are on hold. Indoor walks don't interest me much, but podcasts and audiobooks help get me through. Are there any particular ones that you find interesting or useful that you might suggest or recommend? Thanks, Steve. It was very good to hear from you. 
If you remember, Steve's from England, so I guess he's having a snap of cold weather, just like I'm experiencing over here in the U.S. and Pennsylvania. It's going to be only in the 40s this week, so above freezing, but not by much. So yes, Steve, thanks for writing in. There are three podcasts that I want to recommend, and I will contain links to these three podcasts in the show notes, so that'll be the easiest thing to do. You could probably look them up in your favorite podcast player, but I'll also have the links right in the show notes. The first one is called Healthy Steps Nutrition Podcast. Now, this is done by a woman who actually founded Healthy Steps Nutrition and Healthy Steps Nutrition CrossFit as well. So she's a big CrossFitter. She's a registered dietitian, and she puts out this podcast that deals with, you could guess, nutrition. A lot of very good advice, a lot of fundamental how-tos and things like that, what to eat, and I find it very helpful, very interesting. So check that out, Healthy Steps Nutrition Podcast. The second podcast is called Fit Me Coffee Talk Podcast. So this is from the founder of the Fit Me community. She is a coach, she's a personal trainer, she's a nutrition coach. She has this big community of women. It is community is for women, but certainly anyone can listen to the podcast. I listen to it, I get a lot out of it. And it's called Fit Me Coffee Talk Podcast. It comes out, I'm saying, maybe four or five times a week, lasts between 15 and 20 minutes each time. And it's just a free flow conversation with her while she's having her morning coffee. So again, a good, interesting podcast. This last one here is called Docs Who Lift Podcast. And it's actually through this podcast that I got interested in Manjaro. And one of my daughters told me about this podcast. And that was about three months ago. And I've been listening ever since. Docs Who Lift Podcast, two co-hosts. One is an endocrinologist. They're both doctors. One's an endocrinologist, and the other is a general uh, practitioner who specializes in obesity. And uh, these two brothers, both doctors, both brothers, and with each other, and they have a very good, entertaining, but yet very informative podcast. They talk about fitness and medications and things like that. And it's those three podcasts, I think, will certainly give you insight into what I like to listen to, but I think might also be helpful if you are also dealing with type 2 diabetes or looking to improve your nutrition or your fitness. So check those three out and let me know. Now, Steve did actually send in a quick other note here, and it says, Over the course of the past few weeks since type 2 diagnosis, I've had a big change in my diet and lifestyle. Your podcast has helped get me into a totally different mindset. My challenges are mostly time. I sit at a desk in an office job for the majority of the day. When I get home, I'm now needing to make time to exercise and also to prepare meals. Before, it would have been TV and a microwave meal. What are some of your favorite quick-to-prepare meals, or what exercise do you find helpful if you're short on time? All right, Steve. So, let me talk about the exercise. I don't know if you have any equipment at home. I happen to one of the I have a few pieces. One of the things I have is a rower. I happen to have a Concept 2 rower, also called an ERG ergonometer. I happen to not remember at the moment what ERG stands for. 
Somebody shout at me while they're listening at the podcast what ERG stands for. But anyway, it's a rower. It's a rowing machine. And if you're short on time, 20 minutes on that rower is a fabulous workout. A rower is really a full body piece of equipment. And if I could only have one thing in my small home gym, it would be that rower. I get a lot of benefit out of it. And when I was going to CrossFit, I was living in Maryland, and we used the rower frequently as part of the CrossFit workouts. Now, if you don't have equipment, another fabulous thing is to do body weight exercises. Let's say you combine, I don't know, four things. Burpees, sit-ups, push-ups, and air squats. And you can Google those four things and see examples of exactly what I'm talking about. All four of those things can be modified based on your current fitness levels. Burpees. You don't have to drop all the way chest to the ground and then jump back up, step down, step up. You could go part of way down. You could kick back. There's a lot of ways to modify burpees. Same thing with sit-ups and push-ups. You don't have to do push-ups off the floor. You could do push-ups off a wall, off a counter, off the back of a chair. You can do push-ups off of a coffee table that's maybe only 20 inches off the ground. The thing is, the more vertical you get, the less work is involved in a push-up, and the more horizontal you get, the more work is involved in a push-up. Same thing with air squats. You can do put a chair out and just stand up and sit down to a chair without using your arms, just using your muscle, your major core and your leg muscles. You can do air squats just literally squatting down into the air or you can hold a weight of some sort while you're doing squats. So all of these things are highly modifiable based on your current fitness levels. Now, just like I said before, I am not exercise physiologist or anything like that, and I'm just giving these general, I'm not going to call them even recommendations, I'm going to call them just sharing with you what I do. And if you do those four things, maybe 10 five, 15, whatever of each, and just get as many rounds of that done as you can in say 20 minutes or so, you're going to be sweating buckets. Let me tell you, you can change them up any way you want to make them challenging, but you can also make them easier based on your current fitness levels. So Steve, What do you think we're going to be doing next week? Next week, I'm going to finish up the second part of your question. Next week, I want to talk about some of my favorite meal recipes. And I do eat simply when I'm at home. I don't have a problem at all with getting a chicken breast, sprinkling rotisserie seasoning on it, and throwing it in the speed oven for 17 minutes. A half a pound of chicken, speed oven, 17 minutes. And to me, that's totally fine. But we do also make a few things. So next week I'm going to be talking about some of my favorite meal recipes and because I have had some questions on that. So check out the article I sent you this week in the show notes. But then also next week I'll talk about some of my own favorite meals. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. 
Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.